If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up to Luke chapter 21. We ended uh, with the account of the widow uh, there at the temple that gave all she had. She gave uh, those, those two copper coins. It was the least amount you were allowed to give. Uh, we, we ended there in, in 21 verse 4. So we're going to pick up in verse 5 and we're going to finish the entire chapter this morning. Now, if your Bible's like mine, it has some subheadings, and the subheading in my Bible uh, says signs of the end of the age. And I, I just want to say this about that. Uh, a lot of people have interpreted this passage to mean a lot of different things. And we have a tendency in this passage, we want to, we're going to read our theology in, into the passage. Jesus has taken over the temple. It's now his house. Uh, right, he's been he's been preaching and teaching there um, daily, and and while uh, in or, or possibly even near the the outside of the temple, one of his disciples uh, kind of makes a remark and says, "Man, this place is really beautiful. I, I mean, I mean, our our new place that we gather is great." <laughs> I mean, and you come on, they, they were out in campgrounds before, for crying out loud. So, so they're going, wow, this place is, is really beautiful. Look at these great stones. Look at, look at the ornate gifts uh, that, 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 are, that are here on the temple. And Jesus uses his comment as an opportunity to talk about what's coming. He uses it as an opportunity to talk about what is coming for his followers, what is coming for Jerusalem, and ultimately what is coming for all of creation. And so I want to encourage you this morning, the purpose of this passage is not to be a proof text for your theology about the tribulation uh, and, and, and how that's all going to play out in the book of Revelation. This is not a proof text for that. So if you're somebody th- that, that you think pre-trib, you know, hey, Jesus has taken us back before tribulation, that this shouldn't be your proof text. If you're mid-trib or you're post-trib, like that's not the intent of the passage, believe it or not. Um, in, in, instead, Jesus is telling his followers everything that they know, Everything that they have built their and carefully constructed their lives around is about to drastically change. That, that, that's what the passage is about. Their life, their time with him, uh, the temple, uh, Jerusalem as they know it, uh, the, the earth eventually, like it is all going to change. Life as they know it is about to fall apart. In this text, Jesus teaches them what they need to be doing when life falls apart. Now, I cannot think of a text more applicable to those of us that find ourselves in such situations. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. What do we do when we feel like our entire world is falling apart? All right. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for meeting with us. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want you to be glorified and lifted up. And and Father, we know that you are glorified when your son, Jesus, is exalted. And Jesus, we know there is no one who exalts you like the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, it is your role, not just to be our teacher and to be our guide, But it is your role to exalt Jesus, to magnify the name of Jesus. And because we know that no one 
can magnify and lift up the name of Jesus like you, O God, Holy Spirit. We ask you now to come and to take your proper place in this church as its teacher. Teach us and guide us in the ways of Jesus Christ. Lift him up here in our presence that he may draw each of us unto himself. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5, says, Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and of revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Now, I want to tell you, some of these things happened immediately after Jesus' death before the destruction of Jerusalem. Much like uh, much of the prophecy in the Old Testament, typically prophecy in the Old Testament is fulfilled immediately, and then it finds future fulfillment, and we see its totality in Christ, for instance, right? And, and so, so there were people that came claiming to be the Messiah uh, during this period after Jesus' ascension into heaven and before uh, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. There were people that came claiming, hey, I'm the Messiah, follow me, right? There were revolts. In fact, revolt, uh, a Jewish revolt, is what led to the destruction of Jerusalem, Right? And so, so we want to think about these things contextually and historically. Uh, uh, in verse uh, 10, he says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This is going to result in your being witnesses to them. But make your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's awesome. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And the day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. It's a lot. A lot to cover. I want to walk you through it. The first thing I want you to see this morning in our text is this. Uh, According to Jesus, at some point, some point your world will fall apart. Right? Listen, uh, the promise of God for those that are in Christ is abundant life, not easy life. Can I say that again? The the promise of God for those that are in Christ Jesus is abundant life, not easy life. We've confused those things, I fear. Jesus is teaching uh, here in his house. He's been teaching here in his house. That's what he's calling the temple now. Remember, he enters the temple. He says, this is my house. It's going to be a house of prayer. He starts teaching and preaching the gospel there. And so they're there every day. And this is what's going on all week here in the Passion Week. And uh, I, I wonder kind of privately if his disciples are starting to feel a sense of ownership about their new house. Right? And, and, and maybe even comparing it to some of the campouts they've had before. And so they're going, wow, this is a really cool meeting place, Lord. Like, oh my goodness, look, look at this. And so on one occasion, um, probably right after he's teaching, uh, if we look at parallel accounts, it might even be as they're leaving the temple, um, one of the disciples just looks at the temple, just looks at the temple, just the structure, which was made of these massive stones. I mean, huge stones. And it was a 
adorned with these beautiful gifts, some of them um, laden gold grapes. And I mean, just it was it was gorgeous. And one of them just just kind of begins comparing them maybe to to their camp out, saying something like, wow, I could really get used to this life of luxury, Lord Jesus. Man, this place is beautiful. This is the kind of church I could get used to, right? And Jesus says, not so fast. Not so fast. Everything that you think that you know about me, about this place, about God's plan is about to radically change. Let that sink in. That's what what verse 6 says, right? I mean, as for what you see here, the time is coming when not one of these stones will be left on another. Every one of them is going to be thrown down. And these were massive stones, friends. Like, like Jesus is, is forecast. He said, like, this is coming. Now, remember, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. At the, the, the date that we date Luke's writing, this was just a handful of years later that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. I, I, I mean, some would say five, six years from the time that Luke writes this, that Jerusalem is, is going to be destroyed. And so Jesus goes on to talk about the utter destruction, the, the judgment that is coming upon Jerusalem. But, but, but Jesus uses this as, as, as a picture. He says, Jerusalem, what's going to happen here, just is, is really going to paint a picture of ultimately what's going to happen to the entire earth. When God judges the whole world. So that's what's going on in the past. That's what's kind of difficult to read. At some points it seems like he's talking about end times. Other times it seems very clearly he's talking about Jerusalem. 25 is kind of a demarcation when we know now he's talking about end times. And his return. But I don't want you to get lost in all that. Because here's the deal. Jesus' heart, his focus is on what his followers are supposed to do during this period of time. What are his followers supposed to do when their world begins to fall apart? And and listen, I want to say this as a disclaimer this morning. Uh, Some of you aren't there this morning. Praise God for that. I'm so glad that not everybody's life in our church is falling apart right now, right? Um, our God is, is, is God of the hills and the valleys. And some of us in our church, praise God for that, right? Like when we're in the valley, thank God we have a brother or sister we could look at that's on the hill and go, okay, I'm not going to be here forever, right? Look at them. And, and so if you're, if you're on the hill, um, I just I want to say this to you, man. It, it, soak up every second of it, right? I mean, I mean like, like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus is there in all of his glory. He's like, Lord, can we stay here? Can, can I pitch some tents? And we just stay here longer. I mean, that, that should be our attitude. When we're on the hill, we just need to soak it up, okay? And so I, I, I want you to praise God from whom all blessings flow that, that some of us are on the hill right now. But, but those of you that are on the hill right now, you need to understand that some of your fellow brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you in this sanctuary are not on the hill. Rather, they're in the valley. That's where they are right now. And, and we've got to understand as the family of God that some of the people that are gathered here today, a few of these folks are, are feeling like the walls of their life are caving in on them. 
Some of them are dealing with disease. Some of them are struggling with debt. Some of them are are working through depression. Some of them are feeling the effects or the aftermath of divorce. Some of them are dealing with the death of a loved one. And what I'm saying is that the one time beautifully adorned, well-structured walls and ways of their lives have been shaken. And when someone, a person of faith, gets to that place, and everything that they've worked for, and everything that they have put together and decorated and called life and home gets rattled and starts to shake and even begins to fall apart. That person of faith needs to hear from the Lord. And the message they need to hear has to start here. Jesus always said, there would be trouble. Jesus always said there would be. He never promised anything <laughs> about life being easy. He always said there would be trouble. John sixteen thirty three. he says this, I've told you these things, so that in me you'll have peace. Why do you need peace? Because in this world you're going to have trouble, Right? He says, take heart, I've overcome the world, right? My, my kingdom, my ways, they're better than the world. They're more important than the world. And then our passage is going to talk about the fact you're not going to perish. They may kill you, but you're not going to perish, right? But, but Jesus is saying, like, you're going to need my peace because your world is going to be shaken, Right? I mean, I mean, when the earthquake hits and the foundation and everything's shaking, like, what do you need? You don't need to freak out. <laughs> you're going to need the peace of God. That passes all understanding. Listen to the words in our text, 12 through 17. But before all this, they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you to the synagogues and and even the prisons. You're going to be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This is going to result in you being witnesses to them, but make up your mind. Don't worry beforehand how you're going to defend yourself, for I'm going to give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. Listen to the Lord today. He knows at some point, personally, historically, at some point, your world is going to fall apart. It is. It is. It is. It's not your immediate world that you've established. Praise God. Praise God. But at some point, trouble is going to come. Trouble's going to come. Now listen to what he says about when it does, okay? And why it does. Point number two, okay? These things, these trials, God is going to allow. And get this, God is going to allow these trials to provide opportunities for us to bear testimony 
of His goodness and grace. Okay? God is going to allow these trials to provide us with opportunities to testify about His goodness and His grace. Uh, Verse 12 and 13, But before all this, they're going to lay hands on you, they're going to persecute you, they're going to deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons, and you're going to be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This is going to result in your being witnesses to them, right? And so the good news just continues to flow for the followers of Christ. Hey, guess what? <laughs> Not only is everything that you think about life about to radically change, you're about to be persecuted. Okay? They're going to come after you, and they're going to come after you because of me. Before Jerusalem is destroyed, before Israel is punished, you are going to be persecuted, says Jesus. They're going to deliver you to the synagogues. They're going to bring you before kings, before governors, before all kinds of people, all because of me. And get this, according to Jesus, all this is good. What? All of this is good. God is going to allow this, get this, in order to put you in front of an audience that you never would have had access to. Say that again. God is going to allow this in order to put you in front of an audience that you never would have had access to. And the result is that that audience that you never would have had access to will be a witness to the power and the glory and the goodness of God through you. Wow. Wow. Say, how do we reach this world we live in? Man, it just seems so broken. It seems so lost. It seems like the people running it just... Are, are, I mean, they're so anti-God. How, how on earth are we ever going to reach them? Ready? Through trials. We're going to reach them through how we respond in hardships. Because everyone faces hardships. And how we respond in those moments is going to provide us with a stage. That's why James can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Right? Listen, I know some of you are, are hurting today, but I just want to encourage you. Imagine the audience that God is preparing for you to witness to. Wow. I've been uh, pretty open with you guys about this last year. For me, it hadn't been awesome. Uh, I think a lot of people just thought I was just struggling with the the loss of my father, the death of my father, surely grief, and and that has definitely been part of it. A big part of it, though, is the can of worms it opened up uh, because my my dad left so early, and and a whole life uh, lived where when I was with my father, I was in somebody else's home, and I always felt like the outsider. Always. So a lot of my struggle has been a feeling of legitimacy, actually illegitimacy, and uh, 
And, and, and recent, I mean, that's, that is, you know what I'm saying? That is like the, the, you're having to dig so deep that you don't want to anymore kind of business is what, what I've been going through. And, and uh, it's not awesome. I, like, I, I, I really, it has not been fun. But, but I want to tell you what God has done. God, in the midst of the hurt and the pain and the struggles, has provided me with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I mean, I, I mean more than a handful. It's provided me with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to minister to somebody in a similar situation that's hurting. And it's a platform that I never had before because I, I, I hadn't dealt with any of it before. Right? Because I didn't, I wasn't put in a position that I understood the hurt or the pain or the suffering or the loss. I wasn't put in a position to deal with all the feelings from my childhood. But now that the Lord has allowed this in my life, I have a whole new platform, a whole new group of people that He is allowing me access to that I never would have had naturally on my own. Listen. Because of that, I can honestly say this, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this journey. It's not over. There are days that I wake up and I'm not happy, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the platform. To God be the glory. Number three, when persecuted and pressed for answers... God will provide us with power, wisdom, and words to speak. When pressed, when we're persecuted, when we're pressed for answers, God will provide us with power, wisdom, and words to speak. So Jesus says, before the fall of Jerusalem, uh, they're going to turn you over to the authorities. You guys are going to be put on trial. You're going to be brought before the leaders of the synagogue, some of you before governors, some of you before kings, for crying out loud. And, and get this, um, don't worry about it at all. That's kind of what Jesus says. <laughs> hey, listen, you guys are all going to be on trial, but it's okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it, right? And you're going, you are, uh-uh, Jesus, no, that's not okay. I want a script. I want to start studying now. And he says, listen, you don't need a script because I'm giving you a spirit. See, if, if you had a script, you'd still be doing it in your power, which is no power. If you had a script... That you repeated, by the way, the false religions of our world have well-trained scripts. They come and they knock on your door and they repeat their script. But their script is without power, friends. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. That's why when they come to you with, with, with that ill-fathom wisdom uh, about revelation of, of plates and hidden caves and, and how only a certain society can interpret the Bible, something rises up in you and says, no, that's not correct. Because you have power in you. They have a script. You have a spirit. And so Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're hard-pressed in these moments. When you're provided with this stage and with this new audience. Because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will witness. That's what will happen. 
You, like God is going to put words in your mouth. He's going to give you things to, to say. And Jesus talked all about, uh, about all this back in Luke chapter 12. We, we already studied this. When you're brought before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves or what you're going to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you when? At that time. Wait a second. And shouldn't I take a class, Pastor? I need a class. We need, we need to get off that on Wednesday nights after supper while the youth are being ministered to and the children. I need an adult class, Pastor. I need to know what to say. Here's your class. Ready? Rely on the Holy Spirit and learn to hear His voice. There's your class. The Holy Spirit is God and lives within you. Stop ignoring Him. There's your class. Right? The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you're to say. That's what verse 14 and 15 are talking about in our text. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you're going to defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom, get this, that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Hallelujah. This is what happened to Peter, by the way, in Acts chapter 4. It's what happened to Stephen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Read, read about, about this great account uh, of this man, Peter, who, remember, uh, ran uh, at one point. He denied Christ at one point. And, and listen, uh, listen to what happens with Peter. I'm in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The priest and the captain, temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Boy, that sounds like something that Jesus predicted in our text, doesn't it? They seized Peter and John, and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000, 3,000 people got saved that day. Wow, it's pretty impressive. Okay, now skip down to, to verse uh, 8. Then Peter, right, he's going to get out, and they're going to tell him, like, we, we, don't, we don't want you to do this. Whose power are you doing this? And then look at this, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we're asked how he was healed. Remember, they healed the, the lame man outside of the gate. Beautiful, that guy jumped to his feet, went into the temple, praised God for the first time, and who knows how long, right? It says, says, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone, speaking of Jesus, that the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven and earth given to men what by which we must must be saved. Amen. And the Bible says that wasn't a rehearsed sermon. <laughs> Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, asked a genuine question. He was on trial, and he suddenly had answers. And he suddenly had answers. Same thing happens with a great man of faith in Acts chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but 
I, I, would, I would encourage you, read Acts chapter 7 and the story of Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's why Stephen was selected as a deacon, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. We, we read about Stephen's great ministry, how many people are saved. He's just there to take care of widows and people are getting saved. And the people don't like it. They put him on trial. Stephen gives maybe one of the best defenses of Jesus Christ in the history of mankind. And then he's stoned to death. And it happens time and time again throughout history as God's people have been persecuted, even put to death. Write these names down. Go, go, go read their stories this week. Polycarp. Read what Polycarp said upon his... Uh, upon his deathbed, and I say deathbed because he, he was literally being killed. Go read what Polycarp says when he's being killed. Uh, read, read about John Huss and what he says as he is being lit on fire, right? Read about William Tyndale. Read, read about the, read how these, these men are, are singing praises to God. They are praying for forgiveness of the people lighting the fires. These, these, these men are speaking boldly about Jesus and the sufficiency of, of his word. Now listen, we may never face such circumstances, but hear me. When our worlds fall apart, we are given a similar stage. When our worlds fall apart... We are given a stage on which the world watches how we respond. How will we respond when the diagnosis comes? When the debt hits. When the depression sinks in. When the spouse wants the divorce, how will we respond when the world is watching our world fall apart? Last point. God's purpose in all of this is perseverance. Look at this promise. No one who perseveres will perish. No one who perseveres will perish. Verse 16 through uh, 19 in our text says, You will be betrayed even by parents, by brothers, by relatives, by friends, right? And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. Okay, they're going to put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. I, I just listen to that. They're going to put some of you to death, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. And, and there in that statement is the very heart of it. this entire section of, of Scripture is revealed. Uh, your world is about to fall apart, Jesus says. I'm telling you, your world is about to fall apart. Here's what you do. Ready? Remain faithful. That's his word. Just remain faithful. Remain faithful and you will not perish. He says they may kill you. They may kill your mortal body, but they cannot touch your true life. So stand firm. That phrase in the Bible, by the way, occurs over 30 times 
Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. So let me give you application. I need to be quiet. Number one, I want to challenge you to trust that God has got this. Trust that God has got this. You say, what is this? It's all of it. It's all of it. Jesus' hard truth, all of this has to happen. All of it. All of this has to happen. And it is somehow part of God's story of restoration and redemption. That's what he says. Somehow it is part of God's story of restoration and redemption. And he's going to use these tough times, right, to give us an audience that we never would have had access to before so that we get to participate in the story of God and that we get to be his mouthpiece to those that would have never had an opportunity to hear the good news otherwise. Jesus is telling his disciples, you do not have to understand what's coming, but you do have to trust me. You know, uh, my daughter is almost five. She's going to be five in December. She has reached uh, that phase that all my boys went through where daddy uh, can always, always be trusted to catch her no matter where she jumps and no matter how far away I am. Faith at this point does not understand gravity, but she trusts her daddy. You don't have to understand the trial you're going through right now. But you do need to trust your dad. He will catch you even if he's on the other side of the room. You got it? Trust that he has got this too. Thank God for every opportunity to testify of his greatness. One of the hardest verses in the Bible. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Listen, if the truth of God's word is that God allows these things so that we can testify, so that we'll have a platform. And what is your platform, right? I mean, that's what you've got to figure out. Maybe your platform is a disease. Maybe your platform is how you're going to overcome this death. Maybe your platform is that your marriage isn't, isn't, isn't the textbook beautiful thing that everybody else wants it to be, but you're committed to Christ no matter what. Maybe that's, maybe that's your platform, and you're going to get to speak to people about the power of Jesus, right? I don't know what your platform is, but I'm here to tell you, you need to thank God for the opportunity. Consider it pure joy when you get diagnosed with the disease, when you're struggling with a debt, when the depression sinks in, when, when the, the other person wants the divorce, when, when you're suffering through the death of a loved one. We, we've got to get to a point where we're actually thankful to God for the opportunity that he would choose us and find us worthy to be his witness. And that's hard when you're hurting. But when you understand and you trust the plan of God, 
that God is going to use whatever you're going through to put you in front of an audience that you never would have had access to before. Then I believe you can say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for counting me worthy of this. For I know you're paving the way for an opportunity to stand before governors and kings. Last. It's one of my favorite sayings. I used to have this framed uh, on my desk. It's a quote from FDR. It's just another way to say that biblical word, stand firm, but I, I like it. Tie a knot and hang on. FDR said, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. <laughs> tie a knot and hang on. Stand firm. Hang in there. Perseverance. No one who perseveres will perish. Will perish. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Hang on. Hang on. If you're in the valley, if you're going through it right now, I pray you would hang in there. All right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. We, uh, we do pray that your kingdom would come. This morning, that's what we're going to seek. This kingdom that we can't understand, but we're called to trust. Lord, we're just going to pray. God, let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done. God, find us worthy of being your witnesses. Please, God, let your kingdom come. That's what we're going to pray. That's what we're going to pray. Some of you, as you pray and your heads are bowed right now, this music's going to minister to your spirit, I'm telling you. Some of you walk through the doors and you are that group of people I'm talking about, you feel like your world is falling apart. And it stinks because it was so well constructed. You had just gotten it the way that you wanted it. You had just gotten comfortable, right? And, and Jesus says, I'm sorry, it's not going to stay that way. I'm going to call you out into the waters. I'm going to call you out of the boat. I'm going to ask you to step on the storming seas. But you are going to see me face to face here on the sea. That's what's going to happen, right? And, and some of you are feeling, and, and, and I get it, man, when you feel like your world is full, it's like you can't breathe, but there's beauty in it. There's beauty in it. And this morning, I just want you in, in the hurt and the heartache to find the beauty and to say, God, I, I, can, I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I, I don't know what my stage is going to be, but I'm thankful today for this trial because this trial is going to provide me with an audience to boast of your glory and how you're bringing me through this. And I trust you to do just that. God, let your kingdom come in me today. Today. So let Alan sing over us. And from the depths of your heart, you pray this song unto God. That's our time of response today.